It is good to hear from you and I'm always encouraged by any responses we get. In particular, some have been asking that we deal more with ordinary life and not just those who are former priests or former nuns. So, I am um, encouraged to get such a request and uh, today I'm going to interview an ordinary Catholic uh, who uh, struggled with his Catholicism and then came to life in Christ Jesus. So I'm really happy to introduce to you today Kurt Witzum. Kurt, nice to have you with Thank us. Thank you, Richard. It's nice to be here. Uh, Kirk, I'd like to begin by um, contrasting something that has hit me really strongly this week. I'm here in Hastings, Minnesota and I'm staying in a Christian home and I've been quite edified by the young children in the home like I've asked them for the favorite Bible verses and they have dug around and come up with Bible yeah, verses yeah. and uh, with a sort of a joy in their eyes and the, the young man talked about how he loves hunting and he loves mm-hmm. to research uh, God's word you know and he loves to he has an enthusiastic he's about 10 years old and uh, even the younger girls in the family there's a sort of a joy to discover who Christ is and to walk in the things of Christian life what was it like for you growing up in a Catholic home? Well I, I grew up in what I considered a typical Catholic home um, with uh, there was ten kids in our family mom and dad were hard working we were on a farm in Iowa um, I guess one of the youngest things I can remember is uh, as a Catholic boy, as um, during the Lenten season, we used to uh, in the family in the evenings we'd we'd all gather around in the living room and uh, and get down on our knees by chairs and we'd pray the Rosary during the Lenten season and and that was something that always kind of stuck out in my mind uh, that that was uh, kind of neat I thought you know that we were doing that together but it, um, as far as uh, reading Bible verses and, and such as that. Uh, I know those kids that you're talking about, and it is it is really a treasure to know those children. But we uh, we had a Bible in our family, but it was um, it was something that wasn't a lot really. We didn't use it as 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 a Bible uh, ought to be used. It was uh, had a family genealogy listed in there, and had a lot of pictures where it was nice to look at. Um, but it was basically kept under my mom and dad's bed. Because with ten kids running around, it, I think it will, probably would have been destroyed if it had been taken out and used like it should have been. But uh, I think it would be definitely better to have a, a Bible destroyed by being used than, than not knowing what the Word of God truly is and keeping it stashed away somewhere. Yeah, well, I know what it is to grow up in a, a large family. There were eight of us and uh, we did uh, have road prayers in the rosary and mm-hmm. it... Uh, Sometimes we would giggle, you know, because we uh, got a little bit old. But, sure, um, yeah. you know, we just still did it because this is what we were supposed to do. Um, in the teenage years, I have seen in my own church in Austin, Texas, some real devout, sincere teenagers who are really on fire for the things of the sure. Lord. Um, Will Colbert, who does a lot of the camera work of our programs in Austin, Texas, is a teenager. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't drive a car, but he can run a camera. Sure. And he's very enthusiastic for the Word of God to go forth. And 
to mix with other teenage boys who were really desiring the things of the Lord. His sister, I met one time in New York where she had gone and she was with some other young um, girls her own age in New York and they were really growing in the things of the Lord when I visited a church mm-hmm. over there. And I was very edified by young teenagers who seem to be so enthusiastic. I know all enthusiastic mm-hmm. for the Word of God and for the seeking out who Christ Jesus is. You sure. know that like yeah. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But to see that in young people is edifying. What was it like in your teenage years? Uh, the latter part of my teenage years were, were pretty rough. Early on, um, my father was a custodian at the Catholic school there in the small town down in Iowa. And uh, we were required to help him because the workload was just, it was overwhelming for him. He was responsible for um, the, the whole custodial responsibility of the school. Uh, part of the church he would help clean in there sometimes and do maintenance. Um, he, had to, he was responsible for um, grooming the, the school lawn and the church lawn. Um, and also the church cemetery during the summer and of course in the winter with snow removal and whatnot in front of the church and around the school. So he was overwhelmed by work and uh, on the weekends and after schools we'd help him with uh, with the work that needed to be done. So we were, in our family anyway, as kids we were, you know, um, expected to help dad out with, with the work. But as I got a little older, um, in the eighth grade, um, there was an opportunity to go to St. Louis with uh, Father John McCarthy, who was was um, going to see one of his friends be uh, ordained as a priest. And anyone who wanted to go along, he was looking for some young men, you know, in the church to, to go and join to uh, just witness that that um, ordination. So I went with uh, three other young men down to St. Louis, but we we got lost. We missed the ordination. Um, but uh, he, he ended up taking us to my first Major League Baseball game, so that, that was kind of a fun thing. But as far as, um, you know, as slowly drifting away from the church, I left the, the Catholic school system in, uh, after the fifth grade, and we uh, moved and, and was working in, um, and my dad was working off of the farm then, and, and we ended up uh, having to leave the Catholic school system for the public school system. And getting into the public school system, there wasn't uh, the same opportunities to, to live, you know, as, uh, you know, day to day with the nuns and around the priests in the, in the classroom and whatnot. So we, I suppose there was some drifting away started right then, but we still kept going to the, the catechism classes on Wednesday evenings and, and learning the, you know, the, the history of the church and, and whatnot, what was expected and the, the Catholic lifestyle as a family. So, um, as I got into high school, then it was, you know, I got more interested in girls and, and I knew that I didn't want to be a priest if I couldn't have women involved in my life. Well, girls were, were getting to be kind of interesting at that age, you know, and I didn't want to be a priest because I knew that of their celibacy uh, vows and, and I thought maybe if there's something else that I could get involved with, with the church and, and, and be married. You know, my mom and dad were married, of course, and had a big family. I like kids, and so I thought, you know, there's there's still other opportunities to serve the Lord as a Catholic. So um, I still drifted away and uh, quit going to church and got involved with um, drugs and alcohol in high school and got in some trouble. And so there was uh, there was plenty of opportunities to do things against what God was teaching. Even then, you know, I knew that what I was doing wasn't the right thing. Um, just from 
personal lifestyle and moral standards, you know, was was starting to slip at that time. So I, I, I was definitely drifting away from the Lord at that time. Yes, sir. Uh, you talked about mixing with this priest and with some nuns. And uh, did they talk about the Lord like they really knew him? Um, you know, I know what it is to mix with pastors. And, mm-hmm. you know, you you get into things of the Lord and it's uh, often you know just speaking about one's experience of how to grow in the Lord mm-hmm. and how the Lord disciplines us and you know different ways we sense the leading of the Lord in our mm-hmm. daily life and, sure. and uh, I have been edified here in Hastings and meeting the pastor of the church here mm-hmm. uh, did you find that this priest who took you like to the major uh, league game did he say anything about Christ Jesus and you know how it is to walk with him or anything like that did he speak about there that? there's really not anything that I can pinpoint that was um, that was real specific about um, living the lifestyle as a priest or or living in Christ it, it was it was basically just a, an opportunity to do something different it, I think one of the earliest times of in my life of getting out of the state of Iowa for one thing it was it was a long trip it was an interesting mini vacation of sorts I guess you'd say and an opportunity to do to um, I you know I, I actually was somewhat interested in becoming a priest at that age and because I saw the lifestyle that they lived you know they were they were doing what I thought was serving the Lord um, the nuns also I mean they were they were great people I, I loved those sisters there at St. Michael's um, fun fun to be around you know and um, they they were um, taskmasters with the children in the school but but with me as uh, the the son of the custodian you know they they knew we were catholics but we were going to the public school so it was there was still some interaction there that was different than what they would normally have done you know with the students and it was definitely different than than the way they interacted um, when i went to the catholic school in a different town you know mm-hmm. i mean they were they were um they were taskmasters and, and always kept us in line, of course, but um, seeing them in a different light and kind of a, a, a daily lifestyle, you know, that, you know, they weren't all that much different than, than everyone else. They were normal men and women, you know, so um, I think that's, that's one of the, the big contrasts I see now as a, as a Christian man that, that they, um, I think they were searching too. They were struggling in, in their life as... Um, as sisters and as fathers and priests there in, in the in the parish, so it, it was kind of neat to see that same struggle as I look back on it. You know that, but um, it's also really sad. I think that um, that they they go through that whole lifestyle of living as as priests and as nuns and and doing what they think is uh, is right according to God when it is definitely contrary to what the Bible says. So. Yes, and I know that uh, many of them really end up in a really uh, difficult uh, situations because of the uh, different addictions they get. Um, you know, I've known some sisters like in New York who ended up on Ativan and tranquilizers because they, um, you know, they could not face life and mm-hmm. sincere, devout, fun people, but not being able to reach any uh, peace with God and mm-hmm. I think that is the main thing that is missing I know I spent 30 years in uh, religious life and it's uh, um, I had met religious people 
all over the world, mm-hmm. well not all over the world, in different European countries and uh, in um, the um, South American West Indian context mm-hmm. and then of course in Rome, Italy and of course in my own Ireland uh, and I had visited the United States and Canada but um, I found that there was always a sort of emptiness you know the, mm-hmm. the priests were very kind to me when I visited and they'd give you the key to the door and uh, but you would come and they would say we don't talk shop you know it means that we don't talk about mm-hmm. religion or the and sure. uh, I found this exact opposite when I meet with pastors sure. they just want to talk about the things of the Lord because I was a a charismatic priest and I wanted to begin talking about the things of the Lord and how, how I was searching and sure. uh, I found that some of the priests would say we don't talk shop you know and that, mm. that was the and some really nice people you know mm-hmm. I, mean, I remember once in Holland uh, I was staying with Jesuits and they were really hospitable and kind but it was hands off we don't talk shop really? and, uh, yeah. and that was it was hard because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you were searching, that's what you want to do. You want to talk sure. about the Lord. Sure. So, um, but we're here talking about you and not mm-hmm. me. So right. please, please forgive me for <laughs> okay. diverting. Yeah. Uh, did you have experiences of confession, confessing your to a priest growing up as a young man? Because I know what it is from being on the other oh, side sure. of the grill. Sure. You know where, yeah, like <laughs> where, where. Uh, sure where I'm giving absolution yep. and listening to confession. So how was it on your side of the grill where you were confessing to priests? I think uh, early on going through the, um, the traditions of, of Catholicism and, and going to confession, of course, we required to go to confession prior to our first communion. And for me, that was in the first grade. Um, and I look back on that and I kind of, I, I guess um, we did it because that's the way we were taught. Um, there wasn't a lot for a first grader to be confessing other than maybe that I had, uh, you know, not obeyed my parents or that I had taken some candy or done something, you know, menial that, that, uh, I could think of. Um, but as growing up and getting older and of course, you know, with, uh, becoming a young teenager and, and getting interested in girls and things like that, it was, it all really, um, it began to get to the point where you were very, um, at least I was very uncomfortable going, and of course you'd you'd say some of the the traditional things, you know, uh, in confession, and and maybe withhold some of the the things that really should have been talked about or or brought out in the open, but were um, I guess maybe considered something you, you really didn't talk about, except between you and God. And, and looking back on it uh, from a Christian standpoint, why would we why would we go to someone other than God Himself? for that forgiveness that we really need. Um, but I, I, I really must say that later on, um, as an adult, is, is, uh, it was the biggest blessing that I ever got was through the confessional when a priest told me to, uh, to get a Bible and start reading the Bible. The priest told you to get a Bible? Huh? I never told <coughs> anybody that in all my years of the priesthood, and I don't know any other priest who did. Uh, yeah. But uh, that was good, and yeah. th- that was a turnaround then in your life. That he, how did he, why did he tell you to get a Bible? What did you say to him that this was his response? Well, it was uh, it was a time in my life where um, I'd already been married, and uh, of course we were starting to raise children, and I thought you know it's really important to to raise 
the kids uh, as Catholic kids and, and you know do the things what I figured the Lord wanted me to be doing. And uh, there were things in my life that, that kept coming up. Every time I'd go to confession, it was always the same thing. And it wasn't something that was just horrific, but it was like, I was always judgmental. I'd look at people and, and I'd see someone and, and I'd always... I'd form an opinion in my in my mind like that, and it and it wasn't it wasn't edifying. It wasn't it wasn't godlike, and and I you know I just says every time I come, it's the same old thing every single. And he says, well, he says take your Bible and and read Psalm 51. And I says I don't have a Bible, and then I I kind of thought back to the Bible our family had, you know, and how it was kind of something that was kept away from the kids because it did, the folks didn't want it to get you know torn up or something. So uh, he told me where I could get a Bible, and I went and, and purchased, uh, I think it was the St. Joseph's edition of the Catholic Bible, and I read Psalm 51. I thought, hey, this is this is pretty good reading, you know. And, and it just kind of progressed. I thought, well, if this is good, you know, there's got to be some other good stuff in here. And, and I, I just continued reading the Bible in, in various areas and uh, really liked the Proverbs because they're, they're short little you know, helpful information or, or little sniglets, I kind of call them, of, uh, of life, lifestyle help. So that, that was kind of my first introduction into a Bible. Yeah. What particular part of the Bible then convicted you, or am I running too quickly? Where did you really come uh, under conviction of this Holy Spirit that you were a sinner and needed to trust Christ and Him alone? Um, I think it was uh, the whole time I'm searching. I, I, I knew there was something missing in my life. There was a void there of some sort, you know, and I um, I wanted more. And, and in order to fill that, I, I I kept going deeper and deeper into Catholicism, and um, I, I became a, a lector, you know, during the mass. I'd stand up and read parts of what was considered God's word, and I was a greeter in the church and, and getting involved, and and I wanted more. So um, this another gentleman asked me to. Uh, if I'd be interested in joining the Knights of Columbus, you know, to be able to help out in a, in a little more some volunteer work, you know, in the community and the things that the Knights of Columbus do. And I thought, well, sure, that'd be great. You know, I'd love, love to get involved with that. And I'd, I had considered uh, being a, a Eucharistic minister also, um, but never, never got to that point. But I, I had actually considered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mentioning back memories of my own days as a priest because um, I was invited um, maybe two, three times to the meeting of mm-hmm. the Knights of Columbus and I was always uh, a bit surprised to say the least you know, mm-hmm. because they had swords and they had a, a big type of hat mm-hmm. with plumes mm-hmm. on them sure. and uh, before the meetings they would, they would make sure that all the doors of the castle were closed and mm-hmm. we were meeting in a hall in a room and it seemed a little bit far-fetched to think the doors of the castle were closed but um, I knew that they called themselves knights and there was a little bit of theatrics mm-hmm. you know, in this and uh, I just found it quite strange I forget I was supposed to give them some sort of devotional or something mm-hmm. uh, but I felt uh, a little bit eerie when I was at the meeting that this, this is sort of strange stuff and then we had some processions and they would come out in all their gear you know mm-hmm. the, oh, yeah. The, yeah. they really dressed up I mean they uh, uh, the big things on their head you know they sure. were really yeah. um, they really looked something so uh, what was it like on the inside did you go through any initiation did you go through I think there's 
four different four stages, aren't there? Mm -hmm. And uh, what were the degrees? How far did you reach? Did you go up the ladder of uh, you mm -hmm. know things in the nights? What were the benefits? Well, begin. Just what was it like sure. in the night? Um, well, to start with, that was uh, that's probably been about almost 20 years ago for me. Maybe not quite that long ago. 15 years ago, anyway. Um, and the things that I remember is there's four, four degrees of knighthood. Um, the fourth degree is the ceremonial degree where you see the, the men with their, um, their big red, red um, capes and, and the hats with the plumes and the swords. And, and that's kind of the, uh, the external ceremonial part of, of the knights. Um, I only went to the third degree, so I'm really, I really have no idea what, what entails the fourth degree of knighthood. But the, fir the first three degrees as I, I went through was we did it all in one weekend. It was kind of a, a rush through. Um, I don't know if it was because th there was need of, of more men in the Knights of Columbus at that time or what particular reason that um, we did it that way or if it was just the availability of, of people at that time. The first degree was, uh, to me, was uh, after going through it was very scary looking back on it and the things that happened during it. Um, for instance, um, we were locked in a, in a small room as a group of initiates, I guess you'd call us, and and there were, um, after I, at, later on I found out there were, were a couple, three plants of men in there who who would stage a certain thing to see how we would react and how how we would, uh, you know, work with each other in, in, in certain situations. And one, one man um, feigned a heart attack, and, uh, and we were trying to get out of this room. Of course, they wouldn't let us out. And the uh, one man was actually a police officer who, who was a, a knight, and he was at the door, you know, trying to get them to open the door, and we're, we're trying to help them <laughs> bust the door open so we can get help for this guy who we th truly thought was having a heart attack. Um, but that, that was part of their theatrics uh, uh, and just to see how we would react. Uh, going into the initiation, we were blindfolded and, and led into a, a dark chamber, which I, I don't know if they had a particular name for it or not, but then we were, we were seated and asked to remove our blindfolds. And up front there was a, a long table um, with, uh, if I remember right, there was black uh, skirting around it and on the table were candles and, and what really looked like true human skulls. I don't know if they were plastic or if they were real. They told us they were real. Um, they talked about how man is, is uh, you know, comes from the earth and that they will go back there, you know, and we're just human. And, and the guy was holding the skull and giving this talk. And the whole, when I took off that blindfold and saw that, I, I thought to myself, Lord, what did I get into, you know? And, and one of the statements they did tell us is if, if anything that you see here in the Knights of Columbus is contrary to your religious beliefs, you'll be allowed to leave with no questions asked, you know. Well, I didn't necessarily think that it was contrary to, to Catholic teaching. It, it seemed very strange to me, but later on, uh, when I did become a Christian, I knew that it was contrary to what, what God and His Holy Word says, so it was, I got out of there after I, I became a Christian. Yeah, can you remember what the third degree was? Or was that was that the same weekend? The same? It, yeah, it was the same week. It was just another part of a ceremony. We they did some questions and answers and some demonstrations. Uh, nothing that really comes to mind other than when, when I was actually knighted and and uh, united by a, um, a previous knight of 
I don't know, they must have been at least third degree, maybe fourth degree nights. And, and he was a, a really nice gentleman. Um, it was just involved coming forward and, and making some statement. I don't even remember what it was. And he had his sword and he did the, the thing on my shoulder and, and made some part of the ceremonial comment of some sort. I don't even remember what it was, but, uh, that part of it wasn't, wasn't scary in, in any, any, any way, but. Was there any priest present at this meeting, or was it, um, you know, was it just for lay Catholics? It, it's for laymen, and uh, one of the things of be, becoming a knight is you, t- you do take an oath to protect the lives of priests, to to lay your life down to protect the life of a priest. And I thought that I, at that time I thought that was really a great thing that it'd be an honor, you know, to um, to save the life of a priest in some if there was ever a conflict or something came up, you know that um, his life was in danger, that I, I, I could give my life for him. Yes, so, uh, but there was no priest present at the meeting? No, not, not that I'm aware of. Uh, there was one man who was dressed as a priest and imitated a priest in, as an initiate. In it. And I knew before going into it that priests didn't have to go through the initiation ceremony. So it kind of struck me as funny that this guy was in there, but, you know, who was I to ask questions you know, of them and, and how things were set up, so. Yeah, that was something like the man who was, was pretending he had a heart attack. This was somehow right. to test you or something? Right, like right, yeah. yeah. To see yeah. how we reacted and, and worked as, as a, in a group, you know, so. Yes, uh, well, I think it's good that you say these things because the Knights of Columbus have a lot of influence in getting out literature sure. and defending Catholicism and they they make a a big uh, impact. Uh, some people talk about them as the drinking party of Catholicism. I know that oh, yeah. I've heard that, you know, you hear that from Catholics themselves. Uh, did you find that there was drink among the knights? Or was oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, at, the, at the, the hall, the KC Hall, they usually call them, uh, or the Columbian Hall, um, there's a bar set up in there for use by the knights and uh, also for, for use for, we, I was a bartender for um, wedding receptions. So I, I spent a lot of time behind the bar serving alcohol to people, you know, young married couples. And, uh, and looking back on it, it, it really breaks my heart that I, I was part of uh, giving what I now consider a poison, you know, to uh, young couples who are newly married and, and supposed to be starting their, their life in the Lord basically as, as husband and wife and being a part of uh, getting them intoxicated and and I mean it was it, it's not something that I you know that I even think of being a, a good thing anymore even being I, I don't have an, uh, a neutral position on alcohol now I mean there's there's been a lot of that in in my life and my family and, and my father and whatnot so it's something that I I definitely stay away from and um, encourage others to do so also yeah, now, uh, Kirk, you talked about reading your Bible and coming really to know who Jesus Christ was and trusting in Christ, mm-hmm. um, uh, that you were becoming or you had become Christian. Now, did that affect you were married and you had children, how you were bringing up your children and your relationship to your wife? If this is not too mm-hmm. difficult, but sure. this is what I've been asked, is to explain more the contrast in ordinary mm-hmm. Sure life, how it was like before you became a Christian in a Catholic home setting mm-hmm. and how it was afterwards. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, when, I, when I was uh, young and, 
in uh, marriage with my wife, uh, we both decided it was a good thing to uh, take the kids to church and get them into uh, the the Catholic catechism classes. Um, the the girl I married had uh, had a child out of wedlock, and and Jennifer was this is the child was like four years old when I when I married her mother, and uh, Jennifer was a, a, a just a joy of a child and a pleasure to be around. I, I really come to love kids from from her first and foremost, you know. But uh, we thought it was important to raise our children Catholic and to get them involved in the in the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. And um, I was more responsible for it, I guess, or, or more gung ho about it than my wife was. She was uh, a Catholic and raised a Catholic, but involved as much as I was and in fact she would um, she would go to church with us occasionally you know particularly uh, Easter and, and Christmas time and you know some of the holy days of the church she would join us for for mass but other than that um, it was uh, pretty much my responsibility to be sure the kids were up and ready for for church on Sunday and and things like that but then later on as I was like I said reading the Bible and, and getting to know what the Bible taught and and seeing the contrast between what the church had been teaching and what the Bible was saying, and and I'm like, well, if the Bible is really true, then there's some definitely something contrary to what the the church has been teaching me, you know. So I, I got more and more in depth into the Bible and reading it, and and started uh, you know thinking that my lifestyle wasn't really what God had intended it to be, and and that I needed to. Uh, to, to go more towards what the Bible was saying and, and what the truth of the Bible and, and God's holy word was. So I, I started listening to Christian radio and I'd hear preaching like I'd never heard in a Catholic church. And um, at the same time, I uh, met a friend at, at, at work who was a, a Christian man. And uh, he we would talk, you know, in length sometimes about Catholicism and, and uh, what the Bible taught and things like that. And that was kind of my, um, I guess would be the turning point. And then that was, you know, it came about by that Catholic priest telling me to get a Bible and read the Bible. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And if I could see meet the gentleman today, I, I, would, I would thank him enthusiastically for, for telling me to get a Bible. So that, that was kind of the beginning of... Uh, my change from Catholicism into uh, into the Christian lifestyle. Um, I guess the the major turning point came one day when I, I'd heard a sermon on the radio, and and um, you know I had knew what the plan of salvation was. How, how we speak of accepting Christ as as our Savior, and accepting what He did on the cross for us instead of of the rites and rituals or traditions of what I had been taught as a Catholic and, and how the, that was a, a conflict for me. But um, I, I got on my knees in my bedroom one day and, and said, Lord, I am a sinner and, and I need a Savior. You know, there's nothing that I can do. You know, it seemed like to me anyway, going to confession wasn't, wasn't making it, going to the, the Catholic Mass and accepting the Eucharist and, and living the Catholic lifestyle. There was still a void in my life that, and the Holy Spirit was was slowly pulling me away from the Catholic Church. Yes, uh, I'm really happy that you say this because I think it's really got to be heard that you know we are accepted into Christ as we trust on Him mm-hmm. and Him alone, and it is the uh, it is a real 
stark contrast, you know, and we see it in our own lifestyle, you know, when we um, when we repent of our sins and trust Christ, and uh, we see the differences. Now, how did your wife respond to all of this? You had, I suppose, become sober now, and you were not uh, imbibing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, did it affect your everyday life like that? And what about the type of um, games you had for your children and videos and sure, movies? Sure. Would, would things like that affect it? Because we want to know about everyday happenings. You know, did, sure. did it affect yeah. every day of your lifestyle as, sure. a, as a, in your home? Sure. Well, um, actually, I had um, given up the, the alcohol and drug lifestyle before I was married. Um, my, my wife had never known me as, as a drinking man or a partying man. Um, she she was she she still you know drank beer on occasion and and sometimes got thoroughly intoxicated. Um, she was uh, sometimes she would smoke marijuana. Um, I, I encouraged her not to and 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 I didn't literally force her to keep it away from from the from the kids. There was occasions I remember where uh, I would find that she had been smoking marijuana in the bathroom or something, you know, and and that bothered me. Um, but the the change came when uh, I, I started, like I said, reading the Bible and and uh, had given my life to Christ, and Christ accepted me for who I was, um, you know, sin and all. What he, what he did for me, um, you know, he reached down in, into a proverbial pit of of mud and mire and and debauchery, basically, and lifted me up out of that and and cleaned me up, you know, real good. Um, and I don't say that with any kind of pride in my heart because uh, um, I, I was had been through a lot of bad stuff and, and things, you know, from from um, the, the the lifestyle change that came with that and um, reading and God's word and, and living as a Christian and and being led by the Lord, you know, there, there were uh, movies that I'd been going to even as, after I became a Christian that you know. This is not the stuff that I should be putting into my eyes and into my my head and and the language that went along with it and you know profanity and nudity and and almost to the point of being pornographic the movies that we had seen my wife and I together you know and and all the violence and everything and I says you know I really shouldn't be doing this and and slowly saying you know these video games the kids are watching we shouldn't be allowing them to watch those and play those kind of games that's not the kind of stuff we, I want my kids to be doing and and the videos they're watching as movies, that's not the kind of stuff the kids... And, you know, some of the the music they listen to, I didn't agree with that or didn't like that. And I even remember one episode of of uh, my daughter was uh, working on the computer and listening to a video at the same time as she's doing homework, I think it was. And some of the lyrics were coming out of that. And uh, it was in the wintertime. I had a fire going in the fireplace. And, I mean, I just walked over to the computer and I took that CD out and I threw it in the fire and... And needless to say, the fire wasn't at all in the fireplace for a while. I mean, it, it got pretty heated discussion for a while. And, you know, I didn't want my kids listening to that kind of music. And so through this progression of, of moving closer to the Lord and my wife basically staying where she was as, you know, in, in her, what I, I can't even call it a spiritual walk, but in her life, you know, I mean, she continued with the what she liked, the, the partying and, and the bar hopping now and then. And, and going to the movies with her friends and watching that kind of stuff, and and I was totally against it, and it it really started to uh, to cause a lot of friction in our marriage. 
Yeah, well, that is, I think, the, the contrast that people have got to see because when you become a Christian, uh, you really change. And uh, the real sad thing is that the, um, the life of the ordinary Catholic uh, shows really what Catholicism is, that by the fruits you shall know them because there's really no difference between the world and the ordinary Catholic mm-hmm. home, you know, mm-hmm. where it comes to... Uh, partying and uh, the stuff that the world does and sure. that's the, that is the real sad thing and I know from being a parish priest and seeing my parishioners and wondering is there any difference between them and uh, the, um, the lifestyle of those who are atheists and those who have no religion sure. and didn't seem to be and this was used to grieve me because I was so sincere, mm-hmm. you know, in doing uh, all these rituals and I was wondering, um, do they deliver? Is that, you know, what happens? And when people came back to confession and people who were devout Catholics and I saw like infidelity, adultery, you know, fornication and drugs with the young people, mm-hmm. you know, and these were of um, people who were in my choir and, you know, um, it, it really bothered me because um, I had become a priest so that people could be better and mm-hmm. when they when they weren't better it was it was, it was a great sure. success to sure. me sure. and uh, I think that what you say uh, Kirk has got to be said and we've got to really hear about the um, you know about the mm-hmm. lifestyle uh, did it um, did things pan out with your wife did she hear the word of God or you know is the marriage still together am I asking too much well that, that, that goes I guess quite a, quite a bit into the future um, no the marriage didn't didn't pan out um, we ended up divorced here about a year ago um, three years ago actually three years ago tomorrow she asked me for that divorce and uh, uh, I had tried everything that I could think of to um to get her to change her mind, um, but apparently it was just too much for her to handle. the 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 lifestyle of living with a Christian was was too much. Apparently, um, I'm sure she would have her her own side of the story to to um, to, to say. A lot of it had to do with uh, um, me being more of an authoritarian and and saying no, I don't want this in the house and I don't want that in the house and no, we're not going to take our kids to see this movie or I don't want them playing those video games. And um, she she didn't like the man I had become. Yes. And and looking back on it, I, I can understand it because I mean if you're if you're wanting to go out and do the party life and and there's man trying to live for the Lord right beside you, that's not going to be comfortable for you. So I, I understand that. Um, I, I by no means hate my ex-wife now. Um, I pray for her on a regular basis that she will come to know the Lord and that the Lord will continue calling her and, and uh, the void that she's trying to fill in her life, that she will one day have that filled by, by Christ as her Savior. Um, but like I said, that that is a, a ways into the future from... From looking back on my life, um, there, there's one episode uh, or that I can remember as a child um, that really struck a contrast in my mind. And we used to uh, get together at Christmas time, not only just my family with with their ten kids, but my father's family. You know, all his brothers. He had a, he was from a family of ten also, and they all had just 
gobs of kids, I guess you could say. I mean, so we'd get together and we'd have our Christmas gathering as as an entire family um, in the basement of the church, and there would be sitting around drinking and smoking and playing cards and and I I mean I can't say that it's um, totally wrong for people to take a drink now and then if they need a drink for their stomach or or um, for someone who is in a, a, a dying state to take um, strong drink to relieve their pain or something along that line. But this was just for, for fun and partying like I used to do. You know, I mean, that's where I learned it, I'm sure, from family, um, the strong alcohol and, and everything. But it would, it would be maybe on, on Christmas Eve and they'd go upstairs for, for midnight mass after sitting downstairs drinking and partying all afternoon. Or the same way on a, on a Saturday afternoon, they'd get together and party and, and then be, oh, we got to get ready for afternoon Mass. And it's like, there's something's not right here. You know, you're out here doing living this lifestyle, but you're proclaiming to be a, a, a good Catholic. And, well, that was, that was part of the Catholic lifestyle from, from what I saw. I know uh, what you say there really touches a nerve because uh, even as a priest, when I would go back to Ireland from Trinidad West Indies on holidays, um, we would um, get oiled up, we called it, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you... Oiled up, yeah, I've never heard and, that, but uh, that, yeah, it's appropriate. Uh, you know, and uh, that was where we would have parties and we would sing our camollias, that is a Gaelic word for mm-hmm. the old Irish uh, songs, uh, you know, of loving the uh, freedom and freedom mm-hmm. from England and, you know, the the patriotic songs and um, we would it was taken for granted as, as we grew up as Catholics that uh, alcohol was a big part sure. of, uh, of our life and you couldn't have a party without getting mm-hmm. oiled up so it was uh, it was something strange that when I came back as a Christian uh, after I had left the priesthood in uh, 1996 when I went back to Ireland that I was not wanting to, you know, mm-hmm. you know oh, yeah. and uh, yeah. it was a, a sort of a chill, sure. <laughs> that, that oh, yeah. and uh, you just want to talk about the Lord, and they said, we don't talk religion, and I said, well, I must talk about my Lord, and sure. we still didn't oh, yeah. want to, yeah. you know, it was, uh, it was difficult, so I can uh, empathize with you. Can you explain uh, about the the man, who was he uh, at your workplace, what type of work do you do, and uh, what contrast was there in his life and your life that may have edified you, mm-hmm. you know, sure. just give us some background there. Sure, I was, uh, after I got out of the military, I, I did spend five years in the military, and that was uh, truly a life of debauchery, but that came before my, my marriage and, and my subsequent uh, quitting the alcohol and, and drug scene. Um, got in trouble with with the law, and that kind of kind of pushed me into a, a treatment center and and helped me uh, get away from the drugs and the alcohol. But um, at, I went to school and got certified as a an aircraft maintenance uh, A and P license, licensed mechanic they call them, and that took about a year and a half after the military. Um, went to work for a major airline here in Minneapolis, which uh, was at the time Republic Airlines. Um, they merged with Northwest Airlines, and I've been working with them ever since. But um, in that same time period where I uh, started reading the Bible and, and listening to Christian radio, I met a guy at work. His name was Ken Smith, uh, a great man in the Lord. Um, he, he was constantly witnessing to, uh, to co-workers and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he, um, 
he kind of cornered me one day and invited me into uh, the tool crib, they call them, and it was a, a weekend day and there wasn't a lot of, of work at that time, and, and he sat down and we we started talking about about Christ and the Lord, and and, and he, he says to me, he says, what do you think? Because he knew I was Catholic and that I'd, you know, I was still in the Catholic Church. And he says to me, um, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? Uh, and I says, well, do you want to know what I think it takes or do you want to know what the Catholic Church teaches? He, and so we started on that first, you know, the, the idea that, um, you know, you should uh, you be a good person. You go to Mass, you uh, uh, receive the sacraments and, and, and those sort of things. I says, but I says, I don't believe that anymore. He says, well, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? I says, well, you have to accept first that you're a sinner and, and, you know, and what Christ has done for you on the cross uh, of Calvary, that He came here to earth to, um, to pay for our sins and that when you know, He calls you and, and tries to pull you out of that, that if you, if you accept what He has done, I mean, it, uh, that salvation is, is a gift from, from God, it, the grace that He gives us through that... Um, we have to accept that. I mean, someone can give you a gift. If you don't accept that gift, you know, it's no good. But you have to receive what, what Christ has done and, and then He accepts you and, uh, and, and cleans you up. So, he, he says to me, he says, that, that's the first time of all the times I've ever witnessed and, and talked to Catholics. You're the first one who's ever told me that. You know, he says, I can't believe you're still in the Catholic Church. And that really got me to thinking, you know, that you know it, what I was believing was contrary to what the Catholic Church was teaching, and and that was kind of the the catalyst that encouraged me to get out of the Catholic Church. And I told him, you know, I was scared of what my family would say and, and my friends that were Catholics what they would say. Um, I was scared. Where do I go? I mean, I, I had determined in my heart and believed what the Bible said about salvation and had accepted Christ as my Savior and, and He had accepted me as, as, a, as a born-again believer. And where do I go from here? I, I didn't know where to go. And that had been... I probably had been still in the Catholic Church maybe three years after, after my conversion, you know. I didn't know where to go or what to do. And thanks to Ken, I mean, he encouraged me and, and helped me find a, a really good Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and and even drove an hour and a half, two hours, so he could accompany me to the church so I wouldn't feel uncomfortable going into you know, a, a Bible-believing, preaching church. And so that was kind of... I really thank Ken and, and praise the Lord for him and what he, he'd done during that period of my life. Yeah, well, that's, that's wonderful that you uh, did discover uh, you know, just what... Um, a clear enunciation of the gospel was and the fact that Ken told you that you really aren't Catholic uh, it was towards the end where I was uh, uh, really holding to the um, truths of scripture alone and where I was preaching that we, we must put our trust on Christ alone sure. and where I had removed statues from the church and uh, didn't want to hear confessions and all mm-hmm. the things and I was getting great pressure from uh, the Archbishop, as you can imagine. Sure. Uh, we had some Christian people came visiting us from the United States and from Canada, and uh, they told me, uh, you really aren't Catholic. And yeah. I said, yeah. I am, I'm a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. And they said, it was a, well, uh, 
you know, what you're doing is really uh, not Catholic and it's, uh, you really have to take this before the Lord to see um, what you should do because, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I could see that what they were saying was correct so I can mm -hmm. empathize with sure, you, Kirk, sure. but uh, I think it's good that we share these things because there are people like yourself there and uh, they struggle and they say, I wonder where should I go, you know, mm -hmm. is, is, there, is there any alternative? And uh, mm -hmm. particularly in um, towns like we are here in Hastings, Minnesota, where there's so many Catholics, you wonder, where can I go? Mm -hmm. And the Lord has his people and oh, yeah. they are yeah. quite well informed and quite enthusiastic mm -hmm. and... and uh, really joyous to walk in the things of mm -hmm. the Lord so I think that is it's good what you said now in the uh, time that we have remaining Kirk I would like if you could explain or begin to explain what you would say now to our precious viewer you know I mean a, mm -hmm. a Catholic person most possibly um, hurting like you mm -hmm. were a chance to address them and sure. look into their eye and say this is what I'd like you to know. What would you say to the Catholic person watching okay. this program? Um, I, well, for myself, one of the, the biggest fears I had at that time was what would my family think? Um, I, I found out later on that it didn't bother them as much as I thought it would. I thought I was going to be basically excommunicated from my family. You know, it, it didn't happen. Um, they, they were very understanding um, when I explained to them, you know, that... I'd been reading the Bible, and the, what uh, the Bible taught was contrary to what um, the Catholic Church taught. They didn't, they didn't hold it against me. I'm sure they don't totally understand it today. Um, I, if there's anything that that could come about of of that, I'd say um, to a Catholic friend, um, any viewer out there, that uh, get a Bible. Um, I started reading the St. Joseph edition of the Catholic Bible. If you have a Catholic Bible. It, in your home to um, to read that Bible, um, I'd start out in, in somewhere in the New Testament, maybe in the in the Book of John. The Gospel of John is a very good place to um, to study and to learn um, the truth about God's Word. Some of the um, the letters that that Paul wrote to the Ephesians or or to the Romans. Romans is is another really good place to uh, to start reading in the Bible. Um, has, has a definite a true path of of what it takes to to um, to be a Christian, um, that the things that are being taught as a Catholic are are contrary to what God's Holy Word does say, and um, it is really a burden in my heart for um, for fellow Catholics that were or previous I should say previous Catholics, but people I know now, friends of mine, uh, you know, married couples who are Catholics, and um, they uh, they're in in the same situation I was years ago. Um, there, there is definitely a place to go. There are, there are many, many Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches with um, God-loving people who, who want to see them truly come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and to, um, to be able to spend an eternity in heaven and know, know in your heart that, that you can know that Christ has saved you. Yes, yes. Uh, as we talk, uh, I remember another Kirk that I don't remember many Kirks, but he was Catholic. Um, I like to talk to people when I go out in daily life, mm -hmm. you know, in banks and in supermarkets. And 
he was at the post office in Portland, Oregon, where I had lived, and uh, he was very Catholic, he was from New York, and I would say, Kirk, uh, you know, you've got to read the book of John in your Catholic Bible, mm-hmm. and uh, he was nice, and he would promise me, but we would come back, and I'd say, have you read, uh, have you read John, and he'd say, no, I'm going to get to it, and uh, I'd say, well, now, Kirk, read the first four chapters and I'll be back and I'll want to know about the woman at the well, what Christ Jesus said to her, and I'll want to know about Nicodemus, how we are to be born again. And I'd come back and he'd say, no, Richard, I haven't read <laughs> I haven't read yes. it. And then um, I noticed he was missing and um, I asked some of the co-workers at the post office and they said, well, Kirk is in a in a, a hospital in Vancouver on the other side of the, the river in Van, Vancouver um, Washington so I phoned and uh, finally I got Kirk at the, at the hospital and um, he said to me uh, Richard I have read John's Gospel Amen. so I, I hadn't to bring up the topic mm-hmm. so uh-huh. he said first of all I want to tell you I nearly went under the flowers. That was his exact <laughs> word. I nearly went under the flowers. I found out that I had colon cancer and was at a later stage. And he said, where do I go now? Mm-hmm. So I you, told yeah, him to yeah. go into the, into the book of Ephesians so uh-huh. that he would uh, start reading about uh, you know, how we are accepted into Christ and then life in Christ and then bringing up your children and sure. family. And he was really open to the things of the Lord, you know, and yeah. you know, to, to come into biblical salvation. What would be your message of where to go in the Bible if to uh, the Catholic person who's viewing us? Um, the Gospels, definitely. Um, the Gospel of John is a very good place to go. Um, I, I personally like Proverbs, which is uh, in the part of the Old Testament because of their, their short little concerns very useful for for personal life and personal growth Um, my personal favorite is Proverbs 3 5 and 6 it says um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path and um, that that has been become my life verse Um, I try to live according to that and um, uh, there are times when I stumble and fall I, I, I by no means am a perfect man I'm still a sinner um, that needs God there to uh, to help me up. So, um, and He is always willing to uh, to accept me back on those times when I do slide. Yeah, I think that we do realize that we still are sinners, even though we're saved. I know one verse that I often say in my prayer is the words of Paul in Romans seven. I know that no good thing exists in me or mortal flesh. But the great thing about being saved, uh, Kirk, and you probably realize this too, is that. The Lord corrects us, and when we have sinned, He makes it known to us that we're without a fellowship, oh, yeah. and He oh, brings yeah. us back yeah. into into fellowship with Amen. Him. Yeah. I thank you for viewing this program today, and it has been a joy to share with you again, and a joy to have Kirk with us. And um, I think that Kirk has really shown a contrast. And now it's for you to do what Kirk did to be on your face before God and cry out to Him for His light, His truth, 
and to trust on Christ alone because only he saves sinners and to know that the joy of the glory of salvation can be yours and it's not just contrast of people like Kurt Witzum but your contrast and love to hear from you you'll see our webpage given and uh, please communicate and may the joy of the Lord be with you as you share eternal life in Christ Jesus and trusting in him alone praise God thank you so much Amen thank you Kirk This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton, that's E-D- M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.